Oh, good morning, Embrace. Yeah, thank you. Good morning. Uh, so my name is Tanya, and I am one of the associate pastors here, and I'm so glad to welcome you. If you are visiting us for the first time today, consider this your official welcome. Thank you for being here. I'm telling you later, though, good, mor good morning up there, too. I'm telling you later that other people were going to greet you as well. So we'll have a, we'll have a chance for some greeting. Um, just a couple of announcements before we get started. Um, there is a connection card. This connect card helps us to get to know you a little bit better. Or if you have a prayer request, there is a dedicated team of people who pray for you every single week, and they will keep your prayers confidential. So if you fill this out, we'd be glad just to get to know you or to pray for you. Also, if you want to meet with one of the pastors, we'd be glad to do that as well. Let us know on the card. You can put the cards, and there's a box there and a box back there, these wooden boxes. And you put them in there. And that is also where our members can put their tithe and their offering in those boxes as well. We also have a cafe live stream. If you didn't get a chance to go to the cafe this morning, there's coffee back there and donuts. And uh, on the live stream, you get the opportunity to still uh, enjoy service. If you need to step out for any reason, it's back there for you. Um, also, good morning to my people online. I will be there in just a few moments. You might see some of us uh, sitting in the pews, like on our phones. We're not doing TikTok. We're actually talking to the people online and interacting with them. So good morning to the online people. Um, and then I uh, want to encourage you to read the handout announcements. There should have been one given to you either at that door or that door when you came in. Uh, we do a lot of amazing things around here, and this is a really great way to keep posted on what we're up to. So check out our announcements. If you are online and you are not getting the email about that, um, when I get on there, let me know and I'll make sure that you get signed up for that. Um, so good morning and let's get started. Laban, I'm going to hand it over to you and the worship team. Good morning. I invite you to stand. Let's, let's do this call to worship. Uh, let's invite the Lord into this space. Let's open up our hearts and minds to what he has for us. Oh Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you. As the day rises to meet the sun, glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. created me a clean heart created me a clean heart oh god and renew a right spirit within me created me a clean heart oh god and renew a right spirit Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. And cast me not away from thy presence, O oh Lord. Restore unto me the joy of 
salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away, and cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. And renew a right spirit within me. We know nothing. Yeah, yeah, let's lift it up for praise. Yeah. We know nothing is able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Let us in freedom confess the wrong we have done. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We're going to have our gratitude and lament time now. So you can turn to a neighbor and just share something from your life. It could be a gratitude, could be a lament. Uh, but yeah, let's share with one another. We'll continue our worship time here in a few minutes.
All right, just take a couple moments to wrap up your conversations. And I invite you to stand together. Let's continue our worship time. season of the soul if we could see how much you're worth your power your might your endless love then surely we would never cease to praise let's lift up a joyful noise let everything that let everything that let everything that has breath praise the lord let everything let everything that, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that, let everything that, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that, let everything that, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise you in the heavens, joining with the angels, praising you forever and a day. Praise you on the earth now, joining with creation, calling all the nations to your praise. If they could see how much you're worth, your power, your might, your endless love, then surely we would never cease to praise. Let everything that, let everything that, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that, let everything that, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that, let everything that, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that, let everything that, let everything that. Has breath, praise the Lord. Let everything that, let everything that, let everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Let everything that. Let everything that, let everything that has breath, praise the Lord. And you unravel me with the melody. You surround me with the song and of deliverance from my enemies until all my fears are gone and I'm no longer a slave to fear child of God and I'm no longer a slave to fear and I 
can have a seat. What we're going to do now is we're going to dismiss our children for their time of learning in the Wonder Room. And so if you are a child, four years old, all the way through fifth grade, then you're invited to go uh, with our leaders to the Wonder Room for your own time of learning. If you're a parent and you have a child in that range, then um, you're welcome to, to send your child. If you're new today and your child's never been upstairs or to the Wonder Room downstairs, then make sure you walk with them to make sure you greet the teachers and and kind of make sure you have the right paperwork and all that filled out. But let's give our kids a hand as they, and our volunteers a hand as they come up to the front. We have an awesome team of leaders who do this each and every week, and we are so grateful for them. As our kids are leaving, I want a quick, uh, just quick announcement. Um, Benjamin, one of our people here, left a 
lost a Bluetooth speaker last week, and it looks to be a nice one, and uh, he can't find it. And so he's wondering if anybody here uh, picked it up or saw it last week, but that was in church. So if you know anything about his uh, Bluetooth speaker, he said it's about the size of a small Kleenex box, right? Yes, and it's multicolored. So uh, if y'all can find that, that would be awesome if y'all have any knowledge about the whereabouts of uh, the speaker. We're going to enter into a time of prayer, and so I'm going to kneel here at the altar. If anybody would like to join me, um, then you're welcome to come and kneel with me. I'll give us just a, a moment of silence to prepare ourselves and just to breathe and get comfortable in our bodies in this space. And at the end of our time of prayer, we'll close by saying the Lord's Prayer together. But let's just begin by just breathing a little bit and, and being reminded that God is here with us this morning. God, we are grateful to be together today. We're grateful for just the time we get every week and that we have this rhythm in our lives where we gather with, with people who are on, this, on a similar journey of, of seeking to grow in love for you and grow in love for one another and learning to love ourselves. And we're just grateful that we have each other. We have this rhythm to gather and lift your name up on high and praise you with our singing and our prayers and also to connect with each other and grow closer to one another. Lord, this is a lifeline for us, and, and we need it. And I'm so grateful that so many people uh, share that same need and that desire to, to gather and to worship. We're grateful that we can be here in person because it wasn't all that long ago that we couldn't do that, and we had to worship from home. And from other places, on phones and TVs and computer screens. And God, I'm just so grateful that we can be here with one another, seeing each other's faces, giving hugs and just blessing one another. We need that so much. I'm grateful that we have a warm space to be in on a cold day. We're grateful that we have this second family that is often there for us in ways that we need and maybe ways that our first family doesn't show up for us sometimes. And we're just grateful to have one another. Lord, today I just pray that, that we could grow closer to you and that we would grow closer to, to one another. We would learn more about ourselves and we'd leave here changed. That we would leave here more looking more like Jesus. Lord, today we, we bring lots of gratitude. Many of us have expressed that and shared that over the Thanksgiving holiday, and, and, and often we're extra grateful around this time. But we also know that these seasons of, of celebration and these holidays, while at one hand can be great and wonderful, but, but for some and for many of us, really, they can also be painful and difficult and, and involve a lot of stress. And sometimes the grief... Uh, comes more to the surface uh, during holidays. We miss those that we've lost, and maybe we, we lament. I know many of us that our families are, can be broken and, and, and difficult, and, and we feel that more deeply around the holidays. Myself, Lord, I know that I, I lost someone I loved on Thanksgiving, and, and he always comes to mind every year. So, God, we just ask that you would meet us in these times of sadness and pain, and, and that you would just be our friend and our comfort. And Lord, today uh, I've seen uh, on, 
on our live stream that lots of folks are, are sick this morning with colds and sinus issues and lots of different things going on. And so, God, we just pray that you would be close to them, that you would bring healing quickly, help them to have the strength just to, to battle through it and, and that they could get the rest they need to get back to health. And, and God, I pray as we enter into this winter season that, that all of us would do our best to stay healthy and that you would help us, Lord, to just uh, keep our eyes and fixed on you um, in the midst of potentially an, a challenging few weeks um, in many ways. Lord, we are gearing up for Christmas and Advent and, and so excited about what's coming. And Lord, we just uh, pray that you would meet us here this morning, that we would close out this liturgical year uh, with praise for the King Jesus, who rules us like no other king, who actually loves us and is our friend and is willing to lay down his life for us. And now we join together and we pray this prayer that Jesus taught us his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So I have to admit that I'm a, a little bit uncomfortable preaching on this passage that we have for today. I say that a lot. Um, but, you know, leaning into the discomfort, we are comfortable with being uncomfortable here at Embrace. That is one of our values, if you remember. Um, it's actually, it's not necessarily because, like, I don't like this passage. It's really because, like, it's so important, I believe. It's one of those passages that... Um, really inspires me in my work, um, it challenges me in my daily life, and it really reminds me of what matters the most. And it's so important to me um, that I'm afraid I won't do it justice, so my prayer is that God will help us to see um, Him this morning, and, and that we would be able to really experience God through this parable in Matthew. It's the last parable in Matthew, and this is like really the last thing that happens before kind of the the last days of Jesus um, move forward. And so it's called the parable of the sheep and goats. And some of you have probably heard this one before. Um, but I'm going to read it for you. And then we'll, we'll say a few things about it this morning. And hopefully through our reflections we can be challenged a little bit this morning to be more like Jesus. So it's from Matthew 25 verses 31 through 46. It's a little bit different than some parables. It's kind of more like an analogy with an explanation. Um, it's not like a big, long story, but uh, it's uh, really, really important. So here's what Jesus says. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with them, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. The righteous then will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. 
I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So we've had a few parables the last few weeks uh, that talk about judgment. And uh, we're not going to get into all the ins and outs of judgment today. But I do want to remind you that the judge, the one who is going to judge at the end is Jesus. Okay, and the scriptures teach us that. And uh, I, I think Jesus will be a good judge. You know, I've had to interact with court system over the last few years different ways. And I've had to show up for others in court. And sometimes you have good judges and sometimes you have bad judges. And there are some bad judges out there in our world. Jesus is even better than the best judge we'll find here. And so that's a a good encouragement to me as I think about the final days, that God who is full of love for us and Jesus who was willing to lay down his life for us will be the one who judges at the end. So in these verses, Jesus says that the Son of Man will eventually come in all his glory. And when he talks about the Son of Man, it's a term Jesus used that he borrowed from the Hebrew Scriptures, and he's using it to refer to himself. And so he says that when he returns, because he's going to go away and eventually he will return, and we're waiting for that now, he says the angels will all be with him. There will be a great celebration of the coming of the King. Today is Christ the King Sunday, and we're celebrating the coming of the king. And this is what it's talking about. The king will come and sit on his throne, and one of his tasks as king, he says at the end, will be to separate the people. Now he says, all the nations will be gathered. The way I interpret this is that all of the people, everyone, will be gathered. So imagine this massive multitude of people, all will be gathered, and he is going to separate them. Jesus compares the separation to the way a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. He says the sheep will go on the right and the goats will go on the left. Two groups will be created from the larger group. And so here is the image. All of the people are gathered before the king and all the people are separated into two groups. This is one image Jesus gives us about the final judgment. He gives lots of other images about the final judgment. Keep in mind, it's also a parable. It's not meant to communicate all the specifics of what it will look like. It's meant to provoke us and challenge us into living differently in the world right now. But it does talk about judgment. So I think we have to lean into that and know that there's many places throughout the Gospels where Jesus talks about some kind of judgment at the end of time. So Jesus begins the judging, and to the ones on the right, he calls them blessed and righteous. And he says to them, you fed me when I was hungry. You gave me drink when I was thirsty. You invited me in when I was a stranger. You clothed me when I was naked. You looked after me when I was sick. You even went and visited me when I was in prison. Now the righteous, he says in this story, are a bit confused. And they're like, huh? Like, Jesus, when did we ever see you? In these situations, when did we ever do any of these things for you? And Jesus said, well, whenever you did any of these things for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, in fact, you did it for him, he says. And then he speaks to the ones on the left. I'm doing left and right here doesn't mean you all are cursed on the left of the church. uh, He speaks to the ones on the left and to them. He called them cursed, and he punishes them. And he tells them that you did not care for him when he was hungry and thirsty, a stranger, sick, or in prison. And they say, Jesus, when did we ever see you in need like this? They're probably thinking, of course we would have helped the king if the king was in need, right? And he says to them, well, when you did not care for the least of these brothers or sisters of mine in my kingdom, therefore... You did not care for me. So one group of the people took care of the least of these, and the others did not. 
As I was studying this passage a few years ago, I encountered something that really surprised me. I'd never, never encountered this. I googled Mother Teresa the least of these because I knew Mother Teresa loved this passage and I was interested to know what she might have said about this particular passage. Mother Teresa the least of these. I knew Matthew 25 was an inspiration to her. Now I want to share with you some of the articles that popped up when I googled this. The first article that popped up, who are the least of these? Scholars say Mother Teresa and others may be wrong. Very first article. The second article, you probably don't know about the least of these. The fourth article, the least of these are not the poor, but the Christian baker, photographer, and florist. That's an interesting one right there. The eighth article, where did the poor go? Who are the least of these in the Gospel of Matthew? The tenth article, the least of these, Meals on Wheels, the Trump budget, and the struggle over Matthew 2540. The 12th article, scholars say the least of these may not be the poor. The 17th article, Mother Teresa said we find Jesus in the poor. Was she right? Rick just said absolutely. (laughs) Article after article after article arguing that the least of these isn't actually talking about the poor. The argument is that this passage isn't really about how we treat the poor. And many of these scholars would say that Jesus talked about how to treat the poor in other places, but not here. That's what these articles and these folks are saying. And I'm thinking, huh? Like, that's not what I thought. I've always looked at this, that these are talking about the poor, these verses. The phrase, least of these, raises some questions for many scholars. What does Jesus mean When he says, the least of these, what is he talking about? What does that mean? It's not a phrase we use very often. There are basically two prevailing views about what he's talking about. The most popular view is that the least of these refers generally to the poor, to the suffering, to the struggling. And so when we say the least of these, we're saying the ones that have kind of been pushed to the bottom, that are struggling and suffering and have the least amount of power or or just the uh, health in their lives. And so if that's the case, then, then Jesus is saying that everyone will be judged based on how they treat the poor. Now the second view, which is becoming more popular among scholars, is that the least of these is only referring to poor Christians. And so essentially Jesus would be saying, not how you treat all of the poor, but how you treat my followers matters. So if you're kind to my followers, then you're being kind to me. If you mistreat my followers, then you mistreat me. So in this view, what it's saying is that non-Christians, people who aren't followers of Jesus, will be judged based on how they treat Christians. Now this is indeed an easier interpretation for Christians, because in this view, Jesus isn't really talking to us. He's talking to all the people out there. And saying, well, if you mess with my people, then you mess with me, right? And you're going to be judged for that. That's, that's like an easier one for us to think about. You're like, well, Jesus is going to enact judgment on all, all those people out there who mistreat us. We don't have time to dissect the arguments on both sides. But I will say that I have some concerns with the second view. Because it seems that some scholars are trying to take the edge off this passage. And we do this about other sections of Scripture. Go go read some scholarly work on some of the accounts about money and wealth in the Gospels. And you will see lots of interpretive uh, creativity in how they talk about these passages, about redistribution of wealth, and about sharing our resources with the poor. And I worry that maybe this is going in a similar direction. This passage is edgy. It's challenging. It's provoking. To, To some people, it's just too much. It's hard to accept that we will be judged based on how we treat the poor. Some read this passage and think, you know, like I thought we were all saved by grace. Like, I thought it didn't matter what we do in this life. I thought it was about believing in Jesus. Jesus couldn't have meant that we will be judged based on how we care for the poor because I'm saved by grace alone, right? 
People are uncomfortable with the idea of judgment. I understand. I am as well. And we're definitely uncomfortable with the idea that we will be judged by how we treat the poorest people among us. I think the main reason we're uncomfortable with that part is that more often than not, we don't treat the poor very well. People tend to ignore the poor, humiliate the naked, reject the stranger, eat too much while others starve, label prisoners as criminals, and they deserve to be in chains. There aren't a lot of folks doing the things that Jesus describes in these verses, and so of course there are people out there in my mind who are trying to argue that Jesus didn't actually mean this, that he didn't mean we're going to be judged by the way we treat the poor. I'm concerned by interpretations of Scripture that soften the edges to appeal to the comfortable. We shouldn't be shocked by Jesus' words, though. I think he's making it clear that the way we treat people at the bottom, the poor, the struggling, the sick, the immigrant, it all matters. And it really, really matters. And this is so consistent with Jesus' life and his teaching and his message. Think about the way Jesus lived his life. He intentionally sought out and spent time with people who were pushed to the bottom. The poor were at the center of his life and his ministry. He began his ministry in the the rural areas up in Galilee among some of the poorest Jews in that area. These are the disciples that he called. These are lots of the folks who were there with him when he was preaching. And these were folks that were often pushed to the outside, but Jesus brought them to the center of his life and ministry. You can go into the Old Testament, look at some of the Old Testament laws about safety nets that were set up for the poor and the widow and the orphan. There were laws in the books about how we treated the stranger. There's a recurring message all throughout the Bible that says the way we treat people, especially the poor and the vulnerable, matters. When the prophets in the Old Testament got really angry, and they got angry sometimes, it was because Often, because the people of Israel, the Israelites, were mistreating the most vulnerable among them. They were ignoring those who were suffering, and the prophets got really upset about that. We shouldn't be shocked that Jesus would say that when we care for the least of these, we actually care for him. Because he identified so closely with the poor and the struggling among them. One of the striking features, I think, of this passage is that the righteous people, he says the ones on the right, the sheep, they're surprised when he tells them that their love for the poor was in fact love for him. Now, I'm not surprised that they were surprised. Because when you think about a king sitting on a throne, how many kings truly love the poor? How many kings throughout history have truly loved the poor and identified with the poor and stood in solidarity with those who suffered. Very rarely, think about the leaders of our day today, they're usually very detached and very apart from those who suffer. But Jesus is saying, I'm so close to these folks that when you love them, you're actually loving me because I stand with them and I live my life among them and I actually live in them. Jesus is showing us that he is a different kind of king. It's Christ the King Sunday today. And Jesus is nothing like any kings that we've ever seen in this world. Jesus is a king that identifies with the poor, the abandoned, the oppressed, and the marginalized. And so what does this mean for us? I'm going to say a few words about this, but first, just let's keep it real simple. We ought to be like Jesus And we ought to also identify and love and accompany the poor and the abandoned and the oppressed and the marginalized. It's plain as day to me here, but we we too often we fail at it. I've heard some I've heard it described like this, and I just love this image. It says we need to leave behind the house of fear where suspicion and hatred and violence and war where those things rule. And many of us live in houses of fear, don't we? Fear of the other, fear of the hungry, fear of the thirsty. We're afraid of the naked and the stranger and the prisoner. We need to leave the house of fear, and we need to enter the house of love. And in the house of love, that's where reconciliation and healing and peace can reign. And which house do we want to live a part of? When Jesus described the final judgment, 
You know, he could have said some other things. Uh, I love from the 4th century, John Chrysostom, he said some really provoking and challenging things about how we love and care for those at the bottom. But I love what he says here. He says, Jesus could have said, Come to me, you blessed, because you were of sound mind, because you led a virginal or a pure life, because you assumed an angelic way of life. However, he remained silent regarding these, not because they are unworthy of remembrance, but because they are secondary to beneficence. And essentially what he's saying there is Jesus didn't say those things. He didn't talk about following all the rules and living this pure and blameless life, not because they aren't important, but because they aren't as important as showing love and compassion. To be obedient to Jesus is first and foremost about loving others. Jesus even says that's how we will be judged. We can go back just a few weeks ago when Jesus summed up all the commandments, all the scriptures, all the teaching coming from the Hebrew scriptures. He said you can sum it up in two, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Are we people who love others? Now, I don't think it's like another thing where we need to think about, well, did I do X amount of good deeds for someone, and is that going to get me in this right place? I I don't think that's what we're talking about. We're talking about our identity here. Are you a person who is characterized by love and compassion and mercy? The Protestant Reformation, if you know much about it, Martin Luther did a lot of really good things. The Catholic Church needed some reforms. It needed some some help because much of it had strayed from the essence of the gospel. And Martin Luther was right, I think, in emphasizing the gift of salvation. It is a free gift. We cannot earn salvation. No matter how hard I try, I cannot save myself. Grace is needed. I need God to save me. And I have faith in God's ability to bring salvation, not my own ability. However, I think people have taken this too far. People have put faith and good work up against each other. And I see this as very unhelpful. This is not my understanding of the gospel. The scriptures teach us. James, who wrote the book of James, likely Jesus' own brother, said that faith without works is dead. Good work is the evidence that we have a robust faith in God. Salvation, I believe, is a free gift given to us by God. We cannot earn it. We cannot achieve it. It is in God's hands. And we need to trust in that and have faith in God. However, the evidence that we have faith is that we live lives of love and that we show mercy and compassion to others. Jesus had no problem calling people to have faith and believe, but he also expected them to be obedient to the demands of the gospel. This guy, Klein Snodgrass, writes this. and A brilliant New Testament scholar wrote about the parables, but he said, A person cannot be a follower of Jesus and be void of compassion, which is at the heart of his gospel. Why have so many Christians thought we could have grace without the demand? A person is not a disciple of Christ on the basis of ancestry, ritual act, or liturgical confession. One is a disciple in actually following Jesus' compassion and obedience to the will of the Father. This is not a works righteousness. Acts of mercy are not done as a means to an end, but as expressions of knowledge of God's love. If we don't love others, then Scripture teaches we can't claim to have faith in God. Go read 1 Corinthians 13, or go read the whole book of 1 John. And here's the beautiful thing about all this. I think, as Rick said, Mother Teresa was right. I think that was Rick who said absolutely. Mother Teresa was right that we do find Jesus in the poor. When you show love and compassion to another human who is struggling, I believe you meet Jesus in that person. I've encountered the the work and the teachings of a pastor, a Palestinian Christian in the West Bank in Bethlehem. His name's Munther Isaac, and he's a Palestinian Christian pastor, and he's been wondering where God is in the midst of all the devastation in Gaza. And he had a profound response that I'm still trying to to really just meditate on. But he said, where is God in war? God is under the rubble. God is not in either of the war planes or he's not firing the missiles from either side. 
Jesus is under the rubble with those who are suffering. Jesus articulated a profound spirituality that says God is present most among those who suffer the most. (laughs) He argues that we meet God in acts of love and solidarity with those who suffer the most. And so in my mind, if we can meet Jesus and those who suffer, then part of our spiritual journey must be showing compassion and love for the poor. And so if you feel far from God or your spiritual life is suffering and you don't feel connected to the Spirit, here are some suggestions on how you can grow closer. Feed the hungry. Give the thirsty a drink. Welcome the strangers and the foreigners. Clothe the naked and restore dignity. Take care of the sick. Visit folks in prison. Henry Nouwen says that Jesus comes to us in the poor, the sick, the dying, the prisoners, the lonely, the disabled, the rejected. And there we meet him. And there the door to God's house is open for us. If you want to know Jesus, if you want to be close to Jesus, then doing these things will help you become closer to Jesus. We've had some folks at our church who have gotten plugged in on Monday nights at the gathering. And what they found is they found Jesus on Monday nights through folks who are hungry who come through our doors, folks who are thirsty coming through our doors, folks who are cold and need shelter coming through our doors, searching for love and community. And what happens is we all experience something profound where physical needs are met and spiritual needs are met, and we all meet Jesus around those tables. So I encourage you to walk through the door of God's house, this house of love, to leave the house of fear, and enter into the house of love where Jesus is the head of that house. And in that house, I believe that that transformation can happen, that reconciliation can happen, healing can happen, and that I believe that's the answer to, to the pain and suffering that we're experiencing around us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. We're going to share communion this morning. One of the most profound images, I think, from Scripture is that image of Jesus on the cross. Like, we hear Jesus on the cross today, and we don't fully, like, understand what that means. Like, but Jesus was, to be crucified was like the most brutal form of execution for criminals in the Roman Empire. So these could be people who did something awful, or it could be just someone who rose up against the Roman uh, establishment, you know, who was pushing back against the oppressive stuff that they were doing. And, and often these folks were crucified, and it was a way of execution. It was a brutal way to die. And Jesus was executed in the most brutal way, right between two other criminals. And this is the way Jesus left this world the first time. Jesus stood in solidarity with those who suffered all the way to the end of his death. The folks who experienced the most brutal suffering that could be dished out, Jesus was right there with them, taking it upon himself. And time and time again, if you read the Gospels, read it with eyes to see who Jesus spent time with, who Jesus spoke to, who Jesus invited into his life, what homes did he go into? And you'll see that it's consistent all the way from the beginning to the end. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And at that time, Bethlehem was a poor town that nobody would have ever expected the king of the universe would be uh, where that person would be born. Yet Jesus was born there in a place in someone else's home, probably in their basement with other animals. And that's where Jesus chose to enter into our world. That's where we find him. That's where we find Jesus. If y'all could bow your heads with me just for a moment. God, we love you so much. And, and, and Lord, we, we love you. And, and I know, Lord, I speak for our church when I say we want to follow you more closely. Lord, we want to know you.
God, we want to have eyes to see you in places maybe where we wouldn't expect. And God, I pray that we would take this scripture to heart, that it would be for us not just a, a warning, uh, you know, not just something provoking or convicting, but, but also something encouraging to us. That we would hear these words and see it as an invitation to know you more. An invitation to find you and experience you in the midst, in the faces, in the stories, in the lives of those around us who we often ignore and look right past. Help us to be people who continue. Who continue to go to your word, to go to your scriptures, to go to you in prayer and be transformed from the inside out. People who resist this pull from from this world we live in that tells us that, that, that might and power and wealth and, and status and good looks and all this is what matters. Help us to see that there's something different. And help us to walk that path. As we enter into this season of Advent, preparing for Christmas, help us not, Lord, to get sucked in to the lies that tell us that buying more and more and more and more and looking a certain way and, and doing things a certain way means that somehow we are better than. Help us, Lord, to, to find you in the midst of the quiet, in the midst of those spaces, Lord, where, where you are most present. Lord, we want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we pray, Lord, we would continue to resist. Continue to resist the ways that, that all these forces around us are trying to teach us to conform to a certain way of living in this world. And help us, Lord, to be conformed to your image. And Lord, we pray that through communion we could do that. That we could experience you in such a profound way and, and reflect today on your, I, your solidarity among those who suffer. Because you were willing to suffer yourself. Help us to reflect on that idea that, God, you are the God who is under the rubble with those who are suffering the most. Lord, we need you so much. Pour out your Holy Spirit on this bread and juice and let it be for us the body and blood of Christ. Fill us up today in a fresh way. We pray we leave here changed and transformed. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite those who are helping me serve communion to come on up. Here at Embrace, we take communion by your form. Two lines down the center aisle. Come forward with your hands open to receive the bread. And your servo will rip off a piece of bread for you. They'll dip it in the cup for you. And then they'll hand it to you and you can eat it then. You're welcome to kneel at the altar and pray. Brother Rick's in the back and he'd be happy to pray for you back there. I know Pastor Tanya's back there as well. Um, I would be uh, more than happy to pray with you up here in the front if you would like that. You know, earlier in the service, we sang very loudly with lots of excitement energy that we are children of God. And, and that's, that's really a beautiful image, and that's one of the most profound images from Scripture about who we are. And just know that you are a child of God who loves you. And so as we read these passages that are heavy and hard about judgment and about all this, just remember that, that, that God loves you. And any good parent in this world is not, they're, they're going to walk with you. They're going to give us time to learn and to change and to grow. And so God is patient with you. And we're all on this journey, I believe. And I, I believe that God is patient with us on this journey. So I don't want you to leave here feeling just overwhelmed that like God is going to smite you down or something. No, God is inviting you on this journey of being transformed. And so I want you all to know that uh, this morning, that God loves you. And this is an invitation to be transformed and to be something better and to be more like God, which that's what my hope is all of us can continue to want to live into. And so uh, the table is set, the meal is ready, and you're invited to come whenever you feel led. Thousand times I
fail, still your mercy remains. And should I stumble again, still I'm caught in your grace, everlasting. Your light will shine when all else fades, never ending. Your glory goes beyond all faith.
thank you all for coming together and worshiping with us today. As you're able, let's all stand for the benediction. Before y'all leave, just to remind you that um, we're open to you if you ever need to talk or if you need anything. I know sometimes in church it's hard to have those conversations and connect on things that are going on in your all's lives and your spirit. And so if you ever need to talk, my door is open to you. Just reach out, and I'd love to set up a time to get together. It's one of my favorite things I do uh, as a pastor, so don't feel like you're a burden. I know that we have other leaders in our church um, who would love to, to connect with you as well. So just want to know that, that that's open to you all. Um, and it's a, it's a gift to me and, and to our other leaders, so don't think it's a burden at all. Um, so prepare your hearts to receive the benediction. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. Amen. Go in God's peace. We'll see you next time.